Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this season. Thank you for October 2015. Surely this time you have journaled and logged in the writings in heaven about what's to occur upon the earth and how we're to participate. We know that it's written about us in your scrolls, that you prepared good works for us to walk in, things that eyes have never seen, ears have never heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men the things you have prepared for those who love you. It means up in heaven, the will of God is full of extravagant and lavish description of our lives upon the earth filled with your grace and mercy and that we would be part, an essential part, an integral part as instruments of righteousness, that we be your vessels of honor, that we be the ministers of your love here upon the earth and that every opportunity we make to be found available, that we present ourselves to you as the men that are connected and not distant but close to your heart, to your desire to bring salvation to all men so that none perish. And so we doing all things possible would like to hear from you tonight. And give us an understanding of who you are and how that affects who we are and what we're to do. Bless and prosper your word. Let it, Father God, enrich and cause flourishing of fruitfulness that pleases you and is worthy of our call in Christ Jesus. Bless your word and that it not return void and allow it to be a lamp unto our feet. Allow it to be a good seed and a double-edged sword that pierces our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. As we're talking about the will of God in Romans 12, verse 1, where Paul comes to the conclusion that we're to show up. 90% of what it is to be a follower of God is that we present ourselves uh, through the years there have been the suggestion that others, I want to present Jurgen, I want to present Carlos, I want to present Raul, but the real matter is that you present yourself because this is your, you make use of yourself and not no one else. That you present yourself as a living sacrifice and that it would be something set apart so God could use it, which is our only reasonable manner of serving. That's how you present yourself to be a servant. And it says in verse 2, do not be conformed. Don't do it the way the world does it. Don't, don't walk like the world. I, 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 in the last couple of days, I've been witness to men that are upon the earth, in, in our town particularly. 
And my question is, where are these men going? Where are they going? Because we know they're going fast. They're fast and they're furious going to nowhere. They're not using the optimum of their time and their talents for any rewarding future in God's purpose for sure. And even their earthly pursuit is so foolish. Um, I recall the time where, where, where there's a street and people are just going in that direction, but there's a cliff at the end of the street and everybody's going over the cliff. But nobody's telling the people that are coming behind them. The direction you're going, and you're going very fast, and your pursuit is very purposeful, but it has no return. So God says, not like the world does it, but be transformed, change the way you think, so that you might be able to tell what is God's desire, which is super agreeable and perfect in his sight. And so... Um, With the game plan of man's schedule, he's not bringing forth the fruit of his schedule. Um, we're going to talk about, we have been talking about that faith leads you into understanding the kingdom and the government of God. But this is in relationship to something that is embodied as something called family. And we have sacrificed our families in the pursuit of many things that don't have a return on anything which is good, anything that is according to God's game plan. So we have stripped the family of its worth because we're pursuing possibly earthly gain, and, and that has disrupted the family. But let's, let's start um, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Because it all falls apart at that moment that man decides to walk away from God's parameters and instruction. And we all know what happened here is that they ate of the fruit and the devil. Uh, we could read it in verse 1. Start out with verse 1. It says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He's, he is really exchanging what God has said. God said he could eat of every tree, but not of one tree. But the devil will set it in the fact of you shall not eat of every tree. So the devil's always warped in his mindset. I, the conversations that... that anyone could have with someone else is always they said it the wrong way they they rearranged it and that that's all the premise of the devil deceiving bringing deception oh that's not what I really said that's not what I really meant what I meant to really say is what I did that I didn't do and so it becomes confusion there and that's what he's instilling there in the heart of the woman verse 2 and so the woman responds and says, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. What is the first mistake that she's making? Does anybody capture it? She's talking to the devil. That's, that's the first thing. It's never good to see yourself in an exchange with thoughts that are not 
agreeable. In fact, for years I would say, I'm not talking to you, devil. There's nothing to speak about. I don't have to explain anything to you. You're the devil. And you're surely not going to be my Bible teacher today. I'm not going to let you explain to me what God wants or what God, I'm not talking to you. And so you hang up the phone every time he says, hey, you say, no, there's no, I'm not, I'm not exchanging any thoughts, words, or ideas with you. And, and I believe that that becomes a place of discipline that you take, the Bible says, your thoughts captive. You don't just think, you know, there's, there's a whole group of people, they call themselves free thinkers. And, and my brother, who's a psychiatrist, will tell you that if you want to go crazy, just let your thoughts have access to your brain. People think that just because you get, you know, you could do that, that you, you, you need to allow it. And guess what? Don't. Because the devil will tie you into a pretzel in two seconds. He's, he has the, the, something called the doctrine of demons. The teachings of hell. And when they start in your brain, they make spaghetti. You don't know where you started. You're not going to know where you finished. And so that's what's taking place there. We go back to Genesis 3, verse 3. And she says... Primarily, it's the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God says, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it. There's a man's influence there. He added to what God had said. So now they're not even able to touch it because apparently God had told Adam, don't eat. But he told her, don't even touch it lest you die. Verse 4 continues to dialogue and he contradicts God. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. I can guarantee you, you'll be just as alive as before you ate it. Verse 5, in fact, God knows, now he's, he's, he's revealing the mind of God, that in the day that you eat of, your, of, of this tree, your eyes will be opened. You'll have more clarity. This, this if, you, if you want to categorize this particular verse, you say curiosity, the curiosity of knowing that which is beyond what God has authorized and permitted, and uh, we've all seen the effects of our curiosity lead us away from the instruction and direction of the Lord, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, the truth of the matter is, uh, Proverbs thirteen eighteen says something different. It says that there's two sure things when you decide to do things contrary to God's word. And he says, poverty and shame are the result of not following instruction. Let's read that. Proverbs 13, 18. Your eyes will be opened to the consequences of disobeying. And so poverty and shame will come to him who refuses correction, instruction. One who doesn't want to receive God's heart will end up stripped by the devil and not covered by his goodness, but shameful. But he who regards instruction will receive honor. He who takes what is given to him 
will have a different result. So these are paradigms and principles in the word of God. Um, we go back to Genesis 13, verse 6. Genesis, I'm sorry, 3, 6. Genesis 3, 6. We're following the storyline because I want to get to the place where I believe that is our present state of affairs. Let's go to Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw, moved with her sentiment that the food was good, the, the, the tree was good for food, that was edible, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the tree was desirable, she took of the fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Um, this is why some preachers say that, that Eve ate uh, the first family out of their home. Uh, verse 7, at that point, their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And they sew fig leaves together and make for themselves coverings. Now, that was just to put you in the premise and the context. But, but now God shows up and verse 8, it was customary. When they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the times of refreshing because of the presence of the Lord... Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. Uh, this is the direction that many men are moving in in our present time. They're moving away from God. They're not partnering. Listen, we were created to partner with God to move upon the earth in an expression of immense and powerful significance and glory. It's more than uh, piling a whole bunch of money in a bank account. It's more than um, producing or, or being a consumer of the earth's bounty. And I, they asked me a question last week in an interview. There was about 10 pastors that were together and they asked the question, how is it that you can motivate men to move in the direction of God? If you had an opportunity to talk to a man, how could you get him motivated to move towards God in God's plan? And I said, show him a vision of what God has prepared for him. Because the Bible says when a man sees a great pearl, when he sees the kingdom of God, he will sell everything he has and purchase that pearl of great price. He'll buy the land. He'll, he'll pursue the treasure. So I believe men do not do this because they haven't seen it. And the men that do, like Paul says, go after this, um, we have read Ephesians 3.14. He says that uh, because of everything that God has for me, I will kneel down and bow down before the Father. I will bow down and receive an inheritance that he has for me. If you don't see an inheritance, if you don't see a reward, if you don't see what God has purposed, there's no bowing down. Why would you? And so... Um, 
When they ask me what would motivate men to pursue God with reckless abandonment is they, if they saw what God had for them. So to try and to show men. Let's go back to Genesis 3.8 because here man hides himself from the Lord and it says that God asked, where are you? The Lord called to Adam. Let's go back to verse 8 real quick. As they heard God coming, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees. Remember, hiding amongst the trees of the garden. They're surrounding. Um, I love to talk to men all the time because they tell me, you know, something, I, don't, I just don't know what's happening with my life. I said, listen, why don't you and I sit down and you show me where you spend the majority of your time. And the majority of man's time is not consistent with God's game plan. He's not spending the majority of his time asking God to do his will. He's, he's caught up in his own, um, I call it the proverbial carrot in front of the donkey's nose. So the, don the carrot is there and he's just going around in circles. And in Israel, the promised land was there, but they kept on going around the desert for 40 years. And if I were to identify what men are doing in our time, they're going around in circles. And they're building pyramids. And those pyramids are good for nothing just to bury the dead. That's the, the only reason that bricks were made and pyramids were lifted. You said, all this hard work, all these people, what were they doing? They were just building their coffin. Their efforts, their energy, their exercise, their fruit was only good to be buried with no significance. Here, they're hiding from the Lord, from his presence in the trees. And I, I venture to say that the majority of men that God has called to be bold and mighty and to fight the battles of the Lord are withdrawn and isolated and removed and distant. They're not championing the calling of God for their lives. So verse 9, this is where it's at. God said, he called to Adam, where are you? Not, we said it on Sunday, not because he didn't know where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to figure out where he was. Where are you? What is the encoded in, uh, encryption? What, it, what is it that is encoded in the reason you're living towards the call away from God's purpose? Verse 10, and he says it right here. When I heard your voice in the place that you have placed me, for you, could, you could say Miami, you could say the earth, you could say the time frame of the 80s, 90s, 2000. In that place when I heard your instruction, I was afraid. Now, uh, a lot of our lives are defined in these three areas. We were saying that in our interview yesterday in Fort Myers, that men are afraid. They are unprepared for the call God has put upon their lives. And so they withdraw and hide. And I want to suggest that the provisions of Christ in our life is to destroy these three aspects of being scared, being without the cover, and withdrawing. God wants us to do the total opposite of this. He wants to exchange the fears. And, and that, is, that is our challenge today. 
What are those things that are removing from you your qualifications? Now, in, in the life of Moses, in Exodus 3, verse 13, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? All this speaks of is a fear. What qualifies me? Go to verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I, I really think that, that that is the first right of conversation we should have. That God might tell you that I didn't bring you upon this earth with lack of significance and purpose. That you're not here just to um, participate in some endeavor and industry that has no impact in your generation. You say, Lord, I want to tune in to not, you know, like, like, like Jesus says, who do men say that I am? There's, there's what you think you are, there's what men think you are, but there's who God has called you to be. And so we need to get to that place of exchange. And this is, um, we, we know what our particular dealings with men are from the time we were five years old you'll never amount to anything you are horrible you cannot you will not everything that embodies a fear uh, what what happened to David and, and, and the Goliath if you're going to allow Goliath to tell you who you are he's going to say that you're bird feed this this particular passage shows how he diminishes Let's go ahead and read that real quick because we'll see how the, the, the devil will use people to diminish who you are in your generation. And you're not here to be devoured by Satan and by, by his scaring you into... First uh, uh, Samuel, chapter seventeen. It says, "When David came out to the Philistine." First Samuel seventeen, verse forty-four. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beast of the field. Birds of the, of the air, you're, you're just going to be bird seed today. The description of who we are, if we ask the devil, is not very significant. It has no purpose. He envelops us with fear. Um, we see that... that also taking the promised land, uh, they said, we look like grasshoppers. It's super powerful that you see yourself as a little in, in, uh, insect in this world. Numbers 13, 33. There also we saw the giants 
When we, want, when we walked into the promised land, we walked into this field where the Lord was leading us, and we were like insects in our own sight, and so we were also insect in their sight also. So in our prayer closet, we say, Lord, you did not bring me into this world to have insignificance and no impact I want to suggest something. You, you might not have tied one thing with the other. If God put you in a world-changing church, what does that make you? No, it's no small matter. It's no insane. Listen, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, when we started the church and we said we we're going to change the world, there was no traveling. There was no invitations. There was no books. There was no trips. And so you could have thought, but, but it's becoming all the clearer for us that God does not want us to retreat and to withdraw and to be filled with fear. Now, now is the time for you to garner and say, okay, when they interview me, what am I going to say? That's all, folks. No. He said, we're here to tell the men that there to be great husbands and heroes and great fathers and God created man to be a champion. And there's no lack of an expression of victorious that's part of God's plan. Not now, from the beginning. Not now, from the beginning. What, what is this man doing behind the scenes, hiding in a bunch of trees in the garden and saying, I'm scared. So Paul has to... Tell Timothy we're, we're not given a spirit of fear. That's not, that's not part of the ingredients of what God created. I, I, I do that also. I'm driving down the street, and I say, I got this situation going on, and fear wants to find its way in my heart. 2 Timothy 1.7, and I have to quote this verse at least once a month. At least once a month, I have to sit there and say, this spirit that's trying to influence my life is not going to have any influence because God has not given us a spirit of fear. That, that's not my suit. In fact, I've, 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 I've also said, and this, this we said in Chicago was really powerful, the day we were able to speak to 500 men in Chicago uh, the Times Magazine had a picture of a Muslim with a big knife and saying, Jihad Johnny wants to cut your throat. I said, you know, Jihad Johnny going to cut my throat? Doesn't he know that there's no fear is going to come into the heart of a man who has the Holy Spirit in his heart? <laughs> Talk to me about cutting my throat. Are you crazy? Didn't he read the book where 1 Samuel 17, a little boy chops the head off of his giant he didn't find out who is the losing party in this battle nobody has told him he's on the cover of a magazine in my country saying he's gonna what so I I went ahead and I talked about it at the conference I said listen no tantrum throwing immature violent driven man is going to move me in fear Amen. that that's just not that does not that's not the air i breathe but of power 
and of love. And it, there's no animosity. Yesterday, some man was trying to run me off the road and curse me. I was like, bless you, brother. If you give me two seconds with you, you'll give me a hug. Because there's a more excellent spirit in us. We're not going to be infected with fear and violence and retribution. I said, this guy it runs into the wrong person. They're going to put a bullet in his head. But, but right now, he's running into a, a spirit-filled pastor. Right, Pastor Mediero? He was right next to me. He was like, what? <laughs> so there's a different spirit in us. And, and we go back to Genesis in chapter 3 and verse 9. Genesis 3, 9, verse 10. These three elements that are there, and they're, they're facing us, and, and with all due respect, they're facing you. And, and, and your calling is super important in this regard. And so my, my hope is that the faith that changes the world is one that doesn't drive you by fear of what you cannot do, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's been many of times that the pulpits where we stand and the places we've had to speak would be sufficient to just be full of the fear of the inability of the not. Uh, we read Jeremiah chapter 1 and you'll see that even from the inception when God starts speaking to you of what he has planned for you, and remember that, that this plan is a covering, and, and primarily this thing with Chicago was not the men that I was speaking to, nor the man who's wielding the, the knife. It was my sons. How is, is somebody going to put fear in the heart of my sons? Not when I'm around. Not when I'm around. And so that my children might be manipulated away from the calling of God for their life because somebody is threatening them with violence? No. And so that's, that's what made me move. So what I'm talking about tonight is as you move away from your fear, you are not leaving that as a legacy to your children. That's not a garment for your children. They're not to be driven into caves and distant I want to suggest that this whole expression of being scared and naked and, um, and distant from God is the word lost. Right now, what, what Adam is doing is he's lost. He's disconnected from God. He's far from God. The, the Bible says that this is the state of ruin. Ruin. Shambles, destruction. So you're lost because moving in the area of your fear, that is just a legacy that you bring upon your children. But let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. We us start in verse 4. When the word of God comes to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse 5, before I formed you, while you were still in your mom's womb, there, there was a connection 
of my purpose for your life. Before you were born, in the womb, before you were born, I set you apart and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations, as an instrument of God. To speak to peoples. Verse 6. Then I said, Lord, behold, I can't speak for I'm just a youth. I want to suggest that the greatest source of inspiration and courage have come out of the mouth of babes. And don't, don't think that, that, you're, you know, that you're inexperienced because the most powerful words that have ever been spoken have been by people that do not have experience, that, that are connected to God. And so he's putting an excuse. I cannot speak. And the reason why is because I'm a youth. Verse 7. The Lord said to me, don't go in that direction. Quit identifying with what you're not. Do not say I'm too young. Do not say that you're unable. For you shall go to every single one of those whom I send to you. And whatever I tell you. Whatever I command you to say, you are going to articulate those words. And so one of the most powerful things of the ministry God has given man is not what he knows, but to speak those things that God tells you to speak. And then watch God move in a powerful manner. It's not based on your experience. It's not based on what you know. It's based on you willing to embody the language that God has for you. So I, I praise God for, for young people, be them children, girls, boys, that are willing to say what God says because that, that makes you a powerful force to contend with. Verse 8, he says, you're going to go and do not move in fear when you see their faces for I will deliver you, says the Lord. Verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. All you're to do is to line up with what I'm saying in the moment I'm saying it. And then watch me move. Verse 10. See, this day I've set you over nations and over kingdoms. And you're to... Pull roots out. A lot of things are, are, are superficial on the outside, but we're to go deep and pull roots out and to pull things down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. Uh, a young man came into my office last week, 10 years old, and he says, Pastor, I said, Brother, you're going you're gonna to cut some heads off. And he goes, I don't want to do that. I go, no, I'm not saying spiritually, spiritually. <laughs> spiritually. You're going to go to some cities and you're, those people that are setting standards that are not God's standards are going to come down just by you showing up and by you fulfilling your call as a man upon the earth. And so we are the ones that, that proclaim God's purpose. We're the ones that establish the standard. And so let's go back to Genesis 3 verse 10. It seems to be that the devil has 
removed man from the playing field. He's withdrawn. He's alienated. He says, I was scared. I was naked. I hid. I was scared. I was naked. I hid. And so what is God's redemption plan for this man? For him to replace the fear with the love of God. There's something that disconnects us from being able to accomplish. Um, you, you say, somebody, some man wrote here, did he think that God was going to come? Was he scared? Was he afraid? Because God would come in and point at him and chew him out and curse him and kick him out of the garden and lock the door behind him. Was, was he fearing what God would do to him? Was he fearing that he had let God down? What do we say when, when oh, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just scared that I'm going to let somebody down. And then you answer what? You're never holding anybody up. God is holding you up. You're not holding anybody up. So all this manner of thinking that, that I'm fearful. Uh, I've had some men say, I'm fearful I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall. Or I'm fearful because I already fell and now people, so the, the fear just grasps our heart and it's a leading cause of man's lack of involvement, participation, and championing. And I want to tell you tonight in the name of Jesus, allow the love of God to cast out fear. Allow what he, the significance, the extravagance of this expression of his love be the one that tells you there is no fear there is nothing that that is going to question how much God loves me I, I believe that if we get rooted grounded in the depth of his love it's immovable Romans 8 I believe um, the end of the chapter will go there he says nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. There's, there's just no, there is nothing here that could, the same thing. We're not going to let no devil come and tell us how much God loves us and how we've messed up too many times already. It says there in Romans 8, verse 31, if God is for us, then who says he's against us? And the, the seal that God is for us is verse 32. If God is for us, if he's on our side, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how shall he not freely give us, be gracious towards us? All things that we need... Um, we're carnal. A lot of people read this verse saying he's going to give me a car, he's going to give me a boat, he's going to give me a house. No. He's going to give you the embrace and the love and, and, and the, the acceptance freely. All things that you need to be grounded and sure. Verse 33, who shall say anything to the charge who will accuse us of having fallen short? It is God Who's justified? Who is him that tells us we're not able to be part of God's game plan? Verse 34, who shall condemn us? 
It was Christ who died, and furthermore, he rose. Not only did he come and pay for our wrongdoing and sins and rebellions and disobedience, but he rose and sat at the right hand of God and is praying for us. I mean, you know, his prayers get answered. Verse 5, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who is going to disconnect us? What, what fear has come into our heart that we are cut off? Shall tribulation, difficult distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things we're more than conquerors. How? How do you overcome everything that strips us? Through the love, through him who loved us. The love of God is the connection to wipe out all the insignificance of our fear. For I'm persuaded that there's no death, there's no life, there's no angels. Verse 38, no principalities, no demons, no powers, nothing that is today or nothing that is tomorrow. Verse 39, excuse me, 39, nothing too tall, nothing too deep. Nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're not disqualified. In fact, his love qualifies us. We're not moved in a disconnect. We're not lost. We need to come out of those trees and embrace, come out of those trees in the garden and embrace God's love. Um, today we had lunch with Sister Clarita, and she says, I just... I feel that I can never attain to the standard of God. I said, well, you know why? Because you still haven't understood that Jesus is the standard of God and he fills the void of where you're not. In other words, when God looks at your life, he's seen his son. And so if you still see yourself not capable, all you have to do is say, that is sufficient. That is sufficient. That, that you were never capable in your righteousness in the first place. Doesn't matter how right you are, you never get to that righteousness. And that is what's freely been given. So all there is is a love affair between God and you. There is no fear. And, and we, we see that as, our as one of our favorite verses of tonight. That the manner in which we remove that yoke is in 1 John where it says in chapter 4 verse 18 that when there is a love fest there is no more fear but perfect love cast out fear because fear is tormenting he who is walking in fear is because he hasn't perfected how much God loves him. He's not walking in the understanding. So I, I believe we could come out of the garden trees and of hiding it where fear takes us if we are in jo enjoying the expressions of his love. In Genesis 3, verse 10, the second part of, of this 
reality. And, and I want to suggest that as we go changing the world, that, that we approach every man with this sentiment that they're wrapped up in fear. And, and let me tell you again that fear in any expression is the absence of his love. Well, I'm going to run out of money, so I, I, listen. The love of God is sufficient to pour out lavish provision at manners that the Bible says that, that King Solomon was not able to receive it all. The expressions of the glory that God wanted to give him. So what would be if you stopped hiding and walking in fear and walked in love? What would be the expression of his extravagant measure and fruitfulness upon your life? I, I, would, I would have to suggest that, that we're going to go there. Genesis 3.10, I was afraid because I was naked. That once you connect with the love of God, the garments that begin to come upon your life are precious garments of praise. Um, we see Joseph being loved by his father and receiving the coats of many colors. What would be the expression of God's glory upon your life if you removed that fear and allowed him to begin to cover you? And I, I think what in the nature of what God is, we see it in the life of the prodigal son. The very first thing he does is give him garments to cover his nakedness. So I want you to also say, okay, if I'm willing to give up my fear and walk in the direction of God's love, I'm going to start getting covered in a manner that nakedness is not going to be an issue. One of the motivations for me to leave my law practice was just that. I said, Lord, when I came to your feet, I did not even know how to speak, read, or write sufficient to be a doctor in the field of law. And I came super naked. It was embarrassing many times for me to present uh, a paper to a judge or to a teacher. And you covered me with your grace and your mercy. And, and those documents were glorious. And I had people paying me $10,000. And all that was was his covering, covering my nakedness, covering my shame. What's that mean? That God is into that reality. The Bible says that he has clothed his bride with glorious garments. So my question to you is not that you continue to walk afraid, full of fear, that is making you appear naked, but walk in his love and begin to see the extravagance of the garments of praise that begin to cover you. And, and I challenge you in those areas that you feel that you're vulnerable and that, that, that it limits your expression. Allow God, challenge God. Say, God, why has the devil led me to feel that I'm not thoroughly equipped? I think that that happens to everyone um, that feels ashamed they feel that I don't have the proper coverings. How am I going to present myself? And, and that's why they hide. That, that talks about appearance. And I want to say something, that God wants to make every single one of us a trophy of his grace. And trophies are given so they're shown off. 
their jewels, their accolades, their, their rewards, these things to be presented. Um, the Bible says that, that the men will receive a crown of life, a glorious presentation. That's, that's what it was when, when the prodigal's dad gives him a ring on his finger. That thing was to be presented and, and presenting that, um, revealing that, caused there to be an expression. And, and that's how we feel in God's grace. Now, the devil has done a good job in stripping us fear, naked, and, uh, and, and hiding. We don't want to present ourselves. But I think a glorious aspect of this grace of God is to be able to do what happened in that interview with George Carrigal. Look what God does. Present ourselves. Look what God did to my marriage. Amen. Look what God did to my family. This thing is there to show off. Amen. And I believe Pastor Rivera was sharing that a couple of weeks ago. We're going to touch upon that in 1 Peter where the Bible says that he called us out of darkness into his light to show forth the praises. 1 Peter 2.9. I want you to understand that this is not a, a, a proudful, arrogant expression. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people so that you proclaim that proclamation is something that has to happen out loud. Hear ye, hear ye. Everybody's like, they're about to pull something out that's super important. Proclaim praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to show forth, to be able to show the nations what is the work of God in our lives. Let's stand tonight and this world-changing faith that has three components, having lost the glory of God, now the Lord finds somebody that's fearful, that's naked, and doesn't want to come out. Fearful, naked, and doesn't want to show himself. Jesus came so that you could have no more doubt in the midst of your fear that you are greatly desired and loved. That there's no devil in hell that could come and make him question any aspect of who you are and you know what you, you exist as to make you scared. No devil in hell could come and expose your nakedness because God has your back. God has you covered. And he does so because he desires to present you. Because the Bible said, I was scared because I was naked, so I hid. And God wants you to be loved, covered, and present your garments to be seen by those things in the heavens, those things upon the earth, and those things under the earth. 
these all make us question who God is, who we are, where we stand. And, and, and these spiritual things are, are much more tonight a matter of not only keeping it here, but bringing it out of here and walking it out. God works it in, we walk it out. Ask God to give you his spirit. Ask God to allow you not to continue withdrawn, isolated, distant. That's what the, I was reading that, that word that put, put man away from God. It says it's a man who is disconnected, distant, separated, leading towards ruin, destruction, and death. That's what Adam, that's the direction that Adam was taking. And obviously, the devil was, was playing those numbers. The devil was playing those numbers on him. And I believe that tonight, the Lord is, is transforming this sentiment in towards a roadmap that is super, super powerful. First Peter 4.8 reminds us that the fear cast out, we read that fear cast out, love cast out all fear, but then it says that fervent love, now that it has cast out the fear, covers a multitude of faults. So you imagine that with every expression of things that are in your life that are, would cause you to fear and hide because of your nakedness is now an opportunity in Christ to say, Lord, if my insecurity is my nakedness, if my lack of self-esteem is my nakedness, if my pride to not fail is my nakedness, cover me, Lord. Cover me with garments of praise. Cover me in the multitude of your mercies towards my life. It says, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers. And there's a whole culture in the devil's, his, his, his game plan. The Bible says he stands before the throne of God day and night, accusing the brethren. Like, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. And God says, all I see is my love covering the blood of Jesus, what I've provided man to. And so he did so there in uh, Genesis 3.21. God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And, and we see this there after the interchange of being fearful and naked and hiding that God made also Adam and his wife the Lord made tunics of skins clothed of lamb skins and I believe that, that that's just a shadow and a type that in Jesus Christ the Lord also has a provision to cover us and to accept us Father thank you for tonight we need your love your love will cast out fear the expression of your embrace and acceptance is what we boast in, not our merits, 
or what we have done or will ever do for our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags in your presence. We pray, Lord, that you would cover us with your love and that would address our nakedness and that we would not continue to live our lives hidden amongst the trees, withdrawn, distant, and disconnected. Allow us to show forth garments of praise, garments that show forth your mercy and your goodness in our lives, that our children would not spend one single day ashamed, afraid, or hiding. They did not be exposed to the elements in nakedness, in lack. Allow your garments to so clothe them like you are clothed, your train fills the temple. The glorious garments, white, washed, of praise for what you've done through Christ upon the cross, that sacrifice, that provision. And allow us in this world as your church, as the bride of Christ, to display garments of praise, glorious garments without spot, without wrinkle, everything washed in the blood, embraced by your love, shining forth brightly as the stars of the firmament, shining forth brightly as the light of the world. Allow each of us to walk in that legacy and inheritance. And where the devil has come to put fear in our hearts, we renounce that in Jesus' name. We renounce the fear that previous generations have put upon us with regards to serving you boldly and wholeheartedly. We renounce all shame of nakedness and lack. We say, devil, you're a liar, and we rebuke you in the name of Jesus, that we might be affirmed by the love of God, by the embrace of our Lord, and that our hiding would no longer be our heritage, that we come forth and shout your praises in every corner upon every house, in every city in America and around the world, that we be the voice of the bride calling out, come Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name that there be a, a transformation, an assurance, a boldness about our walk in who we are and what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone says amen and amen. Hallelujah. Go ahead and greet one another in the love of the Lord.